Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As fire crews continue to battle the Caldor fire in the Sierra foothills, two new fires ignited yesterday to the north and south of it in Nevada and Calaveras counties, prompting evacuation orders. The Bennett fire started east of Highway 49 in Grass Valley yesterday afternoon and quickly grew to 50 acres before forward progress was stopped. Most evacuation orders have been lifted for that fire, other than for residents living in the area where the blaze is still burning. In Calaveras County, the Arola fire started around the same time yesterday, quickly growing to between 700 and 1,000 acres. It's burning in the Stanislaw River Canyon near the Parrots Ferry Bridge. Residents in that area near the county line with Tuolumne have been ordered to leave their homes. Meanwhile, more than 2,500 firefighters are still battling to contain the Caldor Fire in El Dorado County, which didn't see a lot of growth yesterday. Cal Fire's Steve Volmer says gusty winds from the southwest did cause a lot of spot fires. We're looking at at very dense stands of timber. We're looking at very large diameter trees above 40 inches in diameter. We're looking at a lot of material heavy dead and down fuels throughout the entire fire area. That is causing us some control issues. Those dead and down materials are very receptive. They're extremely dry as well as all the other fuels in the fire and that is a uh, allowing for a very receptive fuel bed for those spot fires to get into. On a positive note, afternoon winds that fan the flames are expected to subside through the weekend, meaning there will likely be less movement on the eastern zone of the fire. That's one of the biggest areas of concern as the blaze slowly moves toward the Lake Tahoe Basin. Lighter winds could also mean more smoke covering the fire zone. That would create shade, which would help with firefighting efforts. But without the winds, temperatures are expected to increase through the weekend, which will likely mean drier conditions. The latest numbers from the state show that 46 million COVID-19 vaccinations have been administered in California, and 22 million people are now fully vaccinated. Meanwhile, in Sacramento, a new proposal drafted by Democratic legislators could require people to show proof that they're fully vaccinated against COVID before entering indoor businesses in California. The Sacramento Bee obtained a copy of the draft, which hasn't been introduced in the legislature yet, as it would take effect immediately if signed by the governor and would direct the State Department of Public Health to develop a way to enforce the rule by November 1st. Proof of vaccination would be required at businesses like restaurants, bars, movie theaters, gyms, and hotels. If it stands a chance of becoming a law, the proposal will need to be introduced soon as the legislative session is set to end on September 10th. If it's not taken up before then, the proposal would be on hold until next year. 
And staying with the pandemic, could a health insurance surcharge be the answer for California companies struggling with the idea of mandatory vaccinations for employees? It's exactly what Delta Airline plans to do. The company has announced that employees will face $200 monthly increases on their health insurance premiums starting in November if they're not vaccinated against COVID-19. Wade Simmons is with Mercer, a human resources and health benefits consulting firm. He tells the California report, this is nothing new as companies have implemented health coverage surcharges before. Some employers have been comfortable with doing the same thing for tobacco use, for example. You will pay a higher contribution towards your medical insurance premiums if you are a tobacco user and are not willing to go through a smoking cessation program or you know something like that. One, because we want to encourage healthy behavior as an employer and two, because as a tobacco user, you cost us more from a health insurance perspective. Simmons says the same principles would be in play for COVID-19. Employers want to get more workers vaccinated, but are also looking towards their bottom line when it comes to the amount companies spend on health care, as hospitalization for someone with COVID-19 can lead to huge medical bills. Simmons says he expects that this week's full approval of the Pfizer vaccine from the Food and Drug Administration will incentivize more companies to require vaccinations or look into other measures like the surcharges. He adds that companies looking to implement a surcharge need to make sure they're in compliance with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and HIPAA rules. A new state audit has found that the California Department of Housing and Community Development didn't properly distribute more than $300 million in federal funds allocated to help the state's homeless during the pandemic. The problems in distributing the money means that local groups that help the homeless missed crucial deadlines to apply for the funding. According to the audit, one big problem is that it took more than a year for the state to hire an outside contractor to help it handle the federal funds. Governor Newsom office disputes the audit's findings and says the state has successfully helped tens of thousands of the homeless during the pandemic. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State, because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. At a candidate debate appearance last night in Sacramento, California voters got a chance to learn a bit more about the most prominent Democrat running for governor in the recall election, Kevin Pafrath. KQED politics reporter Katie Orr has more. 
Pathrath, who calls himself a JFK-style Democrat, is the only Democrat among the top six candidates running to replace Governor Gavin Newsom if voters recall him September 14th. Pafraf spent the debate pitching what he called bold plans, like working with the Biden administration to build a pipeline to the Mississippi River to increase California's water supply. It would take just 14 power plants to pump water here. We can buy cheaper, cleaner water. There's enough federal land between here and there, with the exception of Texas, where we're going to rent land. For the most part, the three Republicans on the stage ignored Pafrath's ideas. But more than 1.6 million people do follow Pafrath on YouTube, where he posts tips for real estate investing. He says to tackle California's housing shortage, the state should ideally build half a million homes a year, primarily outside large cities. And then we can have better infrastructure to connect these homes. We will also make these communities net negative by building them near and around solar and wind farms. But we must build more houses fast by streamlining the permitting process and enabling Californians to build. Easier said than done. Pafrath also called out former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner for a bad commercial real estate deal he made while in office. In response, Faulkner pointed out Pafrath doesn't have any experience in government. It's not the time for on-the-job training uh, for YouTube. Somebody that's never actually had to get legislation across, actually had to get the units constructed and built, and actually take the stance to get housing constructed in California. Still, Pathraff maintained he's the best choice to replace Newsom should he be recalled. He says a Republican governor wouldn't be able to get anything done given the Democratic-controlled legislature. Pathraff then asked his competitors to drop out and endorse him. None of them took him up on the offer. For the California Report, I'm KDR in Sacramento. Think about where you'll find lots of crime and probably big cities instead of the country comes to mind. But a new report out today says California's more rural Republican voting counties actually have higher violent crime rates than more urban Democratic areas. KQED's Alex Emsley has more. The report by the San Francisco-based Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice notes steadily rising crime in rural California over the past decade, with more crimes committed by and against white people driving the trend. That's despite significantly higher arrest and incarceration rates in Republican counties. Mike Males is a senior researcher for the center, which advocates against over-incarceration. There's no evidence that getting tough and arresting and locking up more people is the answer to crime or produces better results and a lot of suggestion that it may produce the opposite. The research does not include crime rates from this year. Mail says in general, though, trends toward higher crime in rural areas appear to be continuing. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hemsley. Let's turn to immigration. This week, in a 6-3 decision, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the Biden administration must reinstate the Trump administration's Remain in Mexico program. It requires migrants seeking asylum in the U.S. along the southern border to stay in Mexico while their applications are reviewed. The high court's ruling is seen as a defeat for immigration advocates and one that could put migrants at greater risk for murder, rape, and kidnapping as they wait in Mexico. But with U.S. immigration courts mired in a big backlog of nearly 1.4 million cases, the Biden administration still has plans to overhaul how asylum cases are decided. It's proposing to speed up the asylum process to reduce pressure on the overburdened courts and help people fleeing persecution in their home countries. KQED's immigration editor Taiki Hendricks reports. If you've gone through hell, it can be traumatic to revisit especially in a courtroom under cross-examination from a prosecutor. 
That's what happened to a 50-year-old Mexican man named Herrera, who says a ruthless mob attacked and kidnapped him for his involvement in a political campaign. He says he escaped to the U.S. with his wife and three children six years ago when authorities told him they couldn't protect him. We've agreed to use only his last name because he fears being identified could hurt his asylum case. Sitting on his sofa in San Jose, Herrera tells me over Zoom that when the prosecutor challenged him on the details of his case at a hearing last year, it was painful to dig back into the trunk of memories he had locked away. He wipes his face and gets up to look for a drink of water. While he's away, Herrera's wife speaks up. We've been through a lot, she says, and each time we have to present it in court, it's like living through it all over again. Lawyers say immigration court judges are often rushed and hearings are delayed for months at a time. Diego Aranda Teixeira is a supervising attorney with Al Otro Lado, a cross-border legal services agency. He says the adversarial nature of immigration hearings can re-traumatize people who've already endured terrifying persecution. People suffer more in the immigration court. It's really terrible. I've seen people really, really be broken down. But not every asylum seeker goes through immigration court, just people who seek refuge at the time they're entering the country. It's different for those who claim protection after they're already here, say, as a student or a tourist. They are interviewed in an office setting by an asylum officer. Now, a new rule proposed last week by the Departments of Justice and Homeland Security would send almost every asylum seeker to the asylum office. Officials say that would be faster, with cases decided in months, not years. The new plan would also allow the government to release some asylum seekers who would otherwise be locked up while their cases proceed. Aranda Teixeira says that's key. People are actively harmed by detention. It's bad for their mental health, and it's really bad for their immigration case because there's no public defenders for immigration. So when people get released, that really improves the chances that they will get some kind of help and Herrera's lawyer, Abby Sullivan Engen, with Oakland-based Centro Legal de la Raza, says making his case to an asylum officer, rather than before a judge and a prosecutor, would have been much less harrowing for him. The applicant doesn't feel like they're being grilled in the same way. A lot of the officers have training in trauma-informed approaches to interviewing. It's night and day. Not all immigrant advocates or immigration critics are sold on the Biden plan. They have until October 19th to submit public comments. Meanwhile, for Herrera, the six long years of waiting for his case to be decided in immigration court has been hard to bear. He says for himself, whatever's going to happen, he just wants it to happen. His wife says the uncertainty is even more difficult for their children. She says they're still haunted by memories of the angry mob that kidnapped their father and threatened to burn them alive in their house. She says the children ask, what's going to happen if we have to go back there? For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. And that is the California Report for Thursday, August 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, and we'll talk tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. 
fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. <laughs> 